You are now tuned in to Believe. Do you believe? She she has three three kids, two girls and and a boy. And she's talking about how one day she had this realization that both of her girls, you know, she'd like raise them as feminists and told them they could do anything they wanted in the world and and all these things. And then she had a realization one day that she hadn't really shown up with that that same type of gusto with her son. I, of course, like she had just, just mm-hmm. in different ways and that it felt like she hadn't given quite that same level of, of support. You are tapping into Untapped Keg, a podcast about sobriety and mental health, spotlighting stories that provide hope and love. Talking about sobriety and mental health, we talk about subjects that can be hard to take in and can also cause some mixed emotions. Keep that in mind as you're listening to this episode. Find us on all podcast platforms, Untapped Keg and YouTube.com slash Untapped Keg. Join us for live recordings on Sundays. All right, let's get to this story that provides hope and love. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tapping into some Untapped Keg, our podcast where we explore the different perspectives of sobriety and mental health and how we can use them in our daily lives. I am one of your hosts, RJ Zimmerman, and I am excited to be joined by Emily Goff. Emily Goff is a human connection coach, writer, speaker, and host and founder of the respected Top 200 podcast, Room to Grow. Fueled by insatiable curiosity for the nuance and complexities of relationships and the human experience, she takes a holistic mind and body approach using the psychology and physiology of emotions to give you the guidance, real life tools, and perspective you need to take ownership of your life. Revolutionize your relationship to yourself and create thriving connections (laughs) with others. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm awesome. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Made some monkey bread with my youngest today. He was excited. <laughs> First time he's ever had it. It was good. Aww. And then the wheels fell off. So I don't know oh, if it was no. a sugar crash or uh, <laughs> just the two-year-old emotions, but it's all right. It all worked out. So, Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to dive into this today. I am very excited too, because for those who don't know, I think it was episode... 112 you were on maybe like 110 Mm -hmm. and we talked a lot about uh self-love and how we can get to that relationship but at the end we touched on um a reddit post that talks about um how men are raised boys young men and the emotional disconnect that we're raised with compared to what women get and this isn't just a united states thing this is a Mm -hmm. All this around is much the more world. Universal. Yes. Yeah. And it is, it was, it's a Reddit post that was written by a trans man. And the reason that they had the perspective that they could put this into words was because they have felt it from both sides of the fence. And it's, it's, it's an interesting read. And I'm going to, I'm going to read it right here so we can have a good discussion about this. So yeah. <clears throat> I'm pretty quiet about the fact. I'm a trans man usually, but holy shit, I need to tell you about the culture shock I'm going through because it's blindsided me. There's a huge sense of social isolation that comes with being perceived as male because now people are subconsciously treating me as a potential predator. All strangers, no matter gender, keep their guard up around me. 
it made me realize that there is no inherent camaraderie in male socialization as there is in female socialization, unless, of course, it's in very specific environments. And the fact I don't ambiently experience the mutual kinship in basic exchanges anymore is an insanely lonely feeling. You know how badly this would have fucked up my mind if I had grown up with this? Frankly, this is something I would have never understood without living the experience. It's now blatantly clear to me that most C-men probably experience chronic emotional malnutrition. They're deprived of social connection, just enough for it to seriously fuck with their psyches, but not enough for them to realize that it's happening and what's causing it. It's like they're starving, but don't know this because they've always been served three meals, except those meals have never been big enough. The deprivation comes from all sides of the aisle, by the way. In the case of women, when I'm out in public and interact with women, all of them come off as incredibly aloof, cold, and mirthless. I have never experienced this before, even though I know know exactly what this composure is. The armor that keeps away creepy-ass men. As someone who used to wear the armor myself, I know this armor is 100% impersonal. Nobody likes wearing it, and I could say with absolute certainty that women would dump the armor in favor of unconditional companionship with men if doing this didn't run the risk of actual assault. Trust me when I say women aren't just being needlessly guarded. But I only have a complete understanding of this context because I've experienced female socialization. If I hadn't, I would have thought this coldness was a conspiracy against me devised by roughly half the human population. Even now, with all that I know about navigating the world as a woman, I'm failing to convince my monkey brain that this armor isn't social rejection. And as for male socialization, again, it seems taboo for a man to be platonically intimate with men for reasons I have yet to fully understand. But I think it boils down to A, the fact society teaches boys that it's not okay to be soft with each other. B, garden variety homophobia. Our media only shows men being intimate with one another when they're teamed up against a, in a dire situation. And I bet real money, it's a huge reason why men gravitate toward activities that stimulate being teamed up against an opposing force. But men are not machines of war. Yes, testosterone absolutely gives you dumb bastard brain, but that does just makes you want to skateboard a wagon down a hill or duct tape your friend to a wall, not kill someone. The human species looks so much colder standing from this side. I can see how men might convince themselves that their feelings of emotional desperation is a personal weakness as opposed to a symptom they're all experiencing from white imperialism. Because this human connection, this frith, is as essential for our well-being as water is. So, I read that before our last conversation, and I was like, okay, this is, like, really pertinent that it's coming in right now. Because um, I, speaking as a man growing up in a small town in Wisconsin have experienced a lot of this. And when you hear this explanation, what goes through your mind right away? You know, the first thing that's coming to mind actually is when I, I remember having a conversation with, um, with the, the man I was dating at the time and and he and I were in a long-term relationship. This is a few years ago and we'd already been together for years And I, for some reason, I had a conversation with him one day about 
how I walk down the street and everything that goes through my head and the actions that I take as I'm walking down the street. And I'd never explained it to him before because to me, it's, it's inherent. It's, it's something that I have to do, that armor that mm-hmm. was being talked about. And his mind was blown. He didn't understand it. I, I've even explained it to, to other men in my life since then as I, I'm for anyone, you know, most people wouldn't know this because I'm sitting on a screen, but I'm six feet tall. So it's very unusual for a female to be six feet tall. I think it's like 1% of the population. So I was already six feet tall by 14. And I felt like a zoo creature sometimes because people would stare. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I trained myself from a very young age to basically get tunnel vision and to tune out anyone who might potentially be looking at me, but to also still have the conscious awareness for a safety perspective of who, who is in my realm, who is around me? What, what is this? Like, what are the intentions of this man walking down the sidewalk towards me? Do I need to move to the other sidewalk? Like, these are the things that go through a woman's head. And I hate that. Like, I I hate that that is the thing. I also, as a woman, deeply understand why, but when we talk about, this from a socialization perspective and having a much deeper understanding now of how men are, are brought up. Um, and I don't mean by individual parents, I mean, societally, like culturally speaking, how we're bringing men up. And then we're surprised at the result when things go wrong later on, or when uh, we realize just how bad men's mental health crises are and all of these other things that are coming up. The other thing is too, is that it's not just about um, blaming mental health. I I think that we're, we're also living in a culture where the word vulnerability gets used a lot, but I think sometimes we have to be really conscious of the language that we're using because there's certain language that will speak more to women and there's certain language that will speak more to men. And I say this as someone who works with both men and women, and I've had to do a lot of work around this from a marketing perspective, because language that I would use to speak straight to the hearts of women is not the same language that I use when I'm trying to speak to the men. There is some overlap for sure, but words that are coming to mind are like vulnerability. If you throw the word vulnerability at a man, most men are going to run the other way. They're going to be like, what, what is that? (laughs) So we also need to look at how we're approaching some of these topics and and quite literally the language that we're using to speak about them in a way that will make it feel a little bit more comfortable on an already very uncomfortable set of topics or or way of being that we're, you know, to use things like, like openness instead of vulnerability, even just that small switch can feel a little bit more comfortable, maybe like a tiny bit, but Mm -hmm. using the word vulnerability is like, Ooh, like, no, that's, that's, that's not me. That's I I can't handle that. I don't know. Like as a, as a male, I want to get your perspective on that, but (laughs) yeah, no, that's, that's real. Like I've, I've noticed that too. So, um, you know, for people who don't know, uh, I work on high voltage electricity and, uh, I was a foreman. And so when I, so I led a crew of guys and, I brought a lot of uh, mental health into the crew. Like I brought a lot of, you know, trying to understand that it's you're not just a worker, like you're a person outside of it. So we need to bring that. And it reminds me of when we had Chris Borland on, who's a professional football player who retired early because of uh, concussions. And he had a very promising career. And what he does is he goes around 
and he talks to men about opening up about mindfulness and we have to change how we use words right so like you know love instead of saying love the person next to you right it's be there for your brother be there for the guy who's standing next to you it's sacrifice right it's using these manly terms because then when men hear things that are too feminine right it's we shut off well you're not talking about us you're talking about being touchy feely no like we're as a young child this is not just the household you grow up in it's your teachers it's your friends it's the things you see on tv it's everything you're taught like a don't feel pain if you feel pain don't show pain if you show pain then you make sure you inflict pain right like that's kind of how it starts and i that was obviously from like a sports perspective there because you don't inflict pain off of a sports field but that's how a lot of us grow up that's where we learn as men that's where we learn a lot from uh, about ourselves and if you have coaches that don't understand that which let's be real it's a lot of coaches probably 90 percent of them then they care more about the product that they get on the field and not how you're doing off the field and it i Thinking back on every single relationship that I've had with friends, um, just now am I starting to get deeper than uh, how, what sport team is doing what, what, you know, anything. And a lot of the time when you start to talk about your feelings, you're told, oh, you're just being, you're being soft, you're being dramatic, you're being, um, you know, what's another word? Uh it's just you're being selfish. Like that's a big one when you start to talk about your feelings and your emotions is you're being selfish. And that's that's hard because you internalize that and you, you don't want to be selfish. You want to be, you know, you want to be a good teammate. You want to be there for everybody. And so when we go through that, you start to internalize it. Well, that means that I can't talk about it, you know, a lot or complaining. I have to keep to a minimum when I'm going through a problem, it has to be me because I can't talk to anybody else and get sympathy or empathy or any of it. So you start to learn that the stronger you are, you feel like the more respect you get, especially if you take a lot and you don't show, you know, you have your stone polished. So you don't show that it's, it's hard. You don't show that it's, it takes a lot until you get to your, your own room and you look around and you're like, is this it? And that's it. That's all that we have. Like, that's all that I have. Like, I want somebody to talk with. But on the other side, too, if you start to open up, if you're starting to try to find that intimacy and somebody says something that is not receptive, not empathetic, um, is the opposite you tend to retreat even further back because that shows me that not only can I not talk about it, but it really is not allowed. And so that's a lot of isolation. It is. It is. And, and what I'm almost visualizing when, when you say that about uh, when you start to open up and then you get shut down and then you'll just sort of retreat. It's, it reminds me of the fact that, if somebody is just doing that for the first time, 
and expressing that way for the first time and they get shut down, I'm almost picturing like a really young tree that has not yet grown roots. And so it's going to snap the tree because it doesn't have the foundation to be confident enough to know that, okay, maybe that isn't the person to go to, but that there's somebody else out there or another group of people who would be a better fit. Mm -hmm. Instead, it just completely cuts it off. And then we end up wondering why these problems continue to persist. I actually did, did some research before, um, before we, we jumped on today and the national Institute for mental health said that men describe their own symptoms of depression without realizing they were depressed. They, that they made no connection between their mental health and their physical symptoms, things like headaches, digestive problems, chronic pain, all those types of things. And that really speaks to the lack of, of knowledge and not fully understanding even the, the mind body connection because the, they are so deeply connected, but unfortunately our medical system, like the Westernized medical system still doesn't really teach it that way. It tends to look at individual specific problems. I mm-hmm. mean, this is a whole like rabbit hole that we could go down that we won't do today, but <laughs> um, it, it doesn't look at the holistic picture And therefore that education is not being given to people about how to connect the dots. Women tend to be a little bit more intuitive about that. And we've also been taught to be more in tune with our bodies because of like our cycles and like all of these different things that play a role. Men aren't ever really taught that, that the men that I know who have figured that out have had to go out and learn that themselves or, you know, maybe they heard like they happened to have one buddy or something who started to help them connect those dots. And then they, they really started to figure it out, but that's, that's rare. It, there's, there's all kinds of things that show that, you know, men are much less likely to go to the doctor um, than women are like all of these things. We could throw statistics at this all day, but it's like, mm-hmm. what are the root problems that need to be addressed? Because the, the women, I also I'll see this play out a lot and and there's, there's statistics to support this as well, that men will also, will usually go to, if we're speaking in heterosexual terms, which is not always the case, obviously, but um, from a heterosexual perspective, men will, will usually go to their female partner for all of their emotional support. The problem with that is that then the woman can potentially, depending on how that dynamic plays out, the woman can start to feel overwhelmed by that. Because if, if, if she, if anyone is somebody's only source of support, emotional support, that's going to crush anybody. And it's not good for the relational dynamic. Like Mm -hmm. this is why we need a variety of different types of relationships in our life. But a lot of times the men don't know where else to go because they maybe don't have that relationship with their male buddies other than talking about sports and beer or whatever, you know, the very surface level things mm-hmm. like what happened at work today, like those types of things. So there has to be more that's cultivated here so that they have a, a wider base of support. And then that will actually really serve the romantic relationships that will serve all of the other relationships in their life because we're all energetically connected. That might sound very woo to some people, but when the ripple effect that we can have, when we are able to show up as the highest version of ourselves, and that requires support, connection, nourishment, all of these, all of these different aspects from all these different angles, 
the ripple effect that that can have is so powerful. It's so powerful. And it's one thing that I've learned in the past six, seven months, like since I've had this really big mindset shift. So one thing that this growing up this way really did to me, and I, I'm very sure that it's happened to a lot of men, is we develop a deep sense of self-loathing that we don't even know is there. That's just our neutral, right? Because you you feel this pain, you feel these emotions, but you're not supposed to, right? There's only certain ways that you're allowed to uh, show the emotion. Some of it is competitiveness, right? And um, what it turns into is you start to feel these emotions. And you're like, well, I'm not supposed to feel that. So then you feel guilt and you feel shame over the fact that you're feeling these emotions. And that causes us to feel like we're not normal, like we're we're weak, we're, we're all these negative words. And th- we attach that to ourselves. And then you don't even realize you're doing it because it's just so natural. That's it. So as I've kind of come into that and I've started to be my best self, you know, and I talk about that with sobriety and a lot of other aspects of life but as you're doing it it feels so foreign all of a sudden you feel like you're being selfish first right but you're really not really what you're doing is you're showing the person love that needs the love and that's yourself right and you can start with looking in the mirror and saying i'm okay i you know i'm not a piece of shit like i think when i look in the mirror that's number one um, and going from there, but really like this deep sense of self-loathing, just over feeling emotions that I think a lot of men have, have. And my friend and I, Big Kev, uh, at Laugh for a Purpose podcast, we started a men's group over Zoom and we weren't sure how it was going to go. We didn't know if it was going to be, there was going to be like, you know, people wanting this, but it, we've gotten... 10 plus people every single meeting and we really haven't advertised it really well yet. And so when people get there, you know, it's not just talking about our issues and it's not, we don't bash women. Like we talk about our challenges, which a lot of the times is ourselves. A lot of times is our self-confidence. It's our self-worth. And we soon learned that in the first meeting, all of us talked about, our biggest obstacle, and it was ourselves, where we stop ourselves. We we feel like we do things, and we're not supposed to do it that way. It's not normal. And sometimes I wonder if that goes back to gender roles and how young we put those on kids. Because when you have little boys, tend to say, suck it up, don't cry. And when you have little girls... You tend to be like, oh, come here, princess. You know, it's okay. It's okay to show your emotions. And I've seen that with my own boys where, um, you know, some people will be like, no, they just need to not cry. And I'm like, no, it's okay to cry. But we're still going to do what we don't want to do. We can cry, though. And people look at me kind of funny sometimes. But it's like we take these things and we put them on our kids for no reason other than gender roles. Why? Yeah. yeah. Even like even completely subconsciously because it's, mm-hmm. it, there was a uh, Glennon Doyle. I I'm just rereading um, her book untamed and 
she she has three three kids, two girls and and a boy, and she's talking about how one day she had this realization that both of her girls, you know, she'd like raise them as feminists and told them they could do anything they wanted in the world and, and all these things. And then she had a realization one day that she hadn't really shown up with that, that same type of gusto with her son. Of course, like she had just, just Mm -hmm. in different ways and that it felt like she hadn't given quite that same level of of support maybe in, in that particular way. And she had a really hard time coming to terms with that and then started having some, some really big conversations um, with him to kind of help guide him a little bit and, and to give him more, more open space. But there's, there's so much involved with this. Like it's the other thing is too, is that when it comes to sometimes I, I was talking to a male friend of mine the other day and he said, you know, he, he went, through this where he didn't really have any of the the big conversations and he felt like something was, was missing with his, with his male friends. And he finally started, he reached out to this, this one friend of his that was a great friend, but he said, I realized that I didn't actually really know him. Like we would go golfing together and we'd talk about sports and, you know, Mm -hmm. how's work going and how are the kids? And we didn't really talk about anything else. And he said, I reached out to him and started having a conversation with him and it opened this door where then I realized he actually wanted to talk about a bunch of stuff too. And I started seeing him as this completely like multidimensional layered human and vice versa. But it took cracking open the door to that. There has to be, there has to be enough of a motivation to, to take that step forward because it is scary. And it isn't always going to be well-received. I've also talked to men who have reached out to male friends and um, said, you know, I'd I'd really like to talk to you about how I'm feeling about this thing and gotten completely shut down. Like, I don't care how you feel. And, and that's, that's part of the problem. Right. But we, we have to understand that. Let's look at this from the standpoint of romantic partners. Not everybody's going to be right for us and that's okay. They're not supposed to be Mm -hmm. like, we are not for everyone and everyone is not for us. So if you encounter people along your journey who don't want to hear how you feel, that's okay. That's, that's not your person. Those are not your people and to keep going. And that can, that can reach a point of feeling so deeply lonely because when, when you're on that journey and it feels like you're never going to find other people, that is so hard. That is crippling. But if you can find ways to continue to plant those seeds of hope for yourself and to keep having some of these conversations, the people are there. They're there. And the world has opened in ways that it never has before. Things like online men's groups, that was never a thing. Like even 10 years ago, that was never a thing. So there's so many options and and avenues that are opening up in really beautiful ways. And yeah, like going going to relationships, like that is one place that, you know, at growing up, all it was was provide. It's all I was taught, provide, like be a provider. If you provide for your family, you know, uh, whether that be kids, whether that be just your partner, whether it be whatever, if you're providing, no matter what you're doing, you're doing, that's what you're supposed to do. You're successful. So there, it doesn't have to be anything else on the other side of that. You just have to provide. 
And before I went to college, my dad sat me down and he said, uh, you know, you have to provide for your family. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you hate it. It doesn't matter what it is. You have to provide for them. You have to make their, their lives easier. That's it. And it's like, at the time, I'm like, mm, I'm going to do what I like to do because I don't want to hate going to work every day. We work too much. And I fell into that that hole. I fell into that rut. I fell into the trench that has been dug that we get stuck into where I was providing and I thought that everything was how it was supposed to be. But I would just go to work. I'd come home, play with my kids, and then go to bed. Like, that was it. That's all I was doing. Like, that's, you know, like my partner said, you know, we're glorified roommates. We don't have conversations. Mm. Part of that is because I didn't think any conversations were wanted, so I wasn't going to bring them up. And I thought I was doing everything right because I was providing. I didn't know there was something deeper. I didn't know that I had a hole that I was missing and what it was. You know, I just, I thought that was it. Like, this is where it starts is men have to hear there's more than just going to work, bringing home a paycheck, and providing. Because we have a lot more needs than just that. And this is hard because it's it's really hard to believe in what you haven't seen or experienced. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. feels like this this abstract thing where you're like, you know, I might hear people talk about this in passing, or maybe I saw it in some movie or something like that. Do you know the number of men I've talked to that have said that everything they learned about emotions they learned from movies? Uh, another and person. Another person. I, yes, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Truly, I, I hear men say that. A, a disturbing amount. And especially, it's especially disturbing to me because I feel like I'm building my career on undoing all of the things that Disney has taught us as normal about relationships. Yeah. So <laughs> that is so it's true. really problematic. <laughs> and when I hear that, it, it breaks my heart, but it is also, it's like, it's like the, you know, believing is, is seeing and seeing is believing. If you, if you can't see it, how can you believe that it even exists? You can maybe end up tapping into this sort of low lying sensation that there must be more to life. Like Mm -hmm. there must be something more, but not knowing how to get there and what, what that's going to take. And so many women that I speak to want more connection. They, they desperately want the guy that they're with to open up a little bit more, but he doesn't know how he also might not feel safe to, he doesn't even understand what it means. Sometimes he's like, what do you want from me? These are some of the base level frustrations that, that can play out because exactly what you said, like I'm going to work every day. I'm bringing home the paycheck. I'm doing all the things. What more do you want? I don't understand what else that you want because I'm fulfilling everything that society has taught me. I need to fulfill. I'm, I'm a good dad. I'm showing up. Uh, you know, I go to the baseball games. I'm here when you need me. What do you want? I, I don't get it. And when, when I see relationships break up and 
the male is surprised. And he, I actually had this, this conversation with someone recently where he was really surprised that the relationship, the years long relationship had ended and he felt like he'd been hit over the head with it. And there was, there was no infidelity or anything like that. It was just that she wanted to leave because she was not being fulfilled by the relationship and the variety of other issues going on. And he said, you know, it felt like, like she just left and we, she never even told me that anything was wrong along the way that we could have worked on. And the first thing I thought was, I guarantee you she told you a thousand times in a thousand different ways, but you just weren't capable of hearing it. You couldn't hear it because there, there was like this, this sort of divider line where she could be saying all the things, but it wasn't, it wasn't infiltrating to a level of understanding that he could get. And he, on the other side of that, here's another issue that I see is that men often get played off as simple creatures. Like, oh, they're just, they're just so simple. Yes. And, <laughs> and I'm like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> men are incredibly complex, layered human beings, just like anybody else. They just process things in a different way. So something that uh, if, if a man and a woman are having um, maybe a heated discussion, there might be things that, that she says to him that he will completely understand, but it might be two weeks from now. He, and it's not because he's simple. It's because his brain is, is processing the information in a different way than she is processing the information. He still gets it. He just might get it differently and on different timing. So these are some of the, the, the big core issues that I see arising that can cause all kinds of friction between, between men and women in particular, because this is how, you know, from a very general, general, like broad based statement, this is how some men can filter information just in a different way, not a better or worse way. And this is how women can filter information. And when we don't, when we have a very distinct mismatch between the two and a lack of understanding and compassion for the other and patience, sometimes we're going to run into problems. And yeah, I mean, we hear words differently, like as yes. men, right? So, you know, and you make connections <clears throat> differently in your brains, quite literally. And it's, again, it's not in a worse way. Yep. It, it's, it's like IQs can be exactly the same. It's nothing to do with that. It's just a different way of processing information. <laughs> when, when I was told I needed to be more open, I started talking about like everything I was going to do. And that's not what they meant, right? Like, right. oh, you know, I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna go, you know, play some ball, and then afterwards we might go get something to eat, like, you know. And then that's that's kind of it. Or I took it as, oh, they want to hear what is I'm struggling with, right? So I started to talk more about like work and what happened at work and why you know it was stressful and stuff like that. That's not what they want either. But at the same time, when it comes to processing emotions. Because we don't have words, understanding of what our emotions are, period. Like, you know, we really do understand things at a happy, mad, glad, sad level. That's it. And so when you when you think of what you're going through, like you really do just talk like I'm mad. Well, I'm not really mad. I'm just I'm irritated about this one thing. And that makes me a little bit more frustrated easier. Like that's not necessarily mad. Right. Are those emotions of the on the mad side? Sure, but they're a little deeper than that. So you could take 
those little things and then understand, well, I'm irritated because, uh, you know, my, uh, what's the word I'm, uh, routine was upset in the morning. I usually get a coffee from here. They're out of that coffee. This coffee tastes like crap. I'm, I'm irritated today. So that's, and then it's like, oh, well, I, whatever, that's fine. But if you don't trigger on it, you could carry that throughout the day and just seem like you're mad. And the other things too, with like sadness. So you feel sadness. You don't understand where it's coming from because you just know you're sad. Well, you know, am I sad because of my partner? Am I sad because of my parents, my brother, my sister, my kids, right? What is it? And then we feel guilty because what are we sad for? Like there's people who can't afford to pay their rent, can't afford their utilities. Like I should not be sad, period. And that's not healthy either. So not understanding our emotions and realizing how it connects to literally everything. Like you said, physical health, honestly, where you're at mentally, how you're working through things like you, sometimes you can internalize it and then make yourself feel shame. And that shame just eats and eats and eats. And you don't even realize it's what is happening, the cycle you're in. And that, that is where we need, you know, more men, more people who are public facing talking about emotions, just simple words and what they mean. Like, that's why I've connected with Jenny so much because she has helped me to define my emotions, like the feeling words. And it's like, yeah, I do. I have a little bit of that. And then you start to realize I can feel more than one emotion at once. What? The duality. Is that right? real? Yeah. You can yeah. do that? And I teach on that all the time, but like the duality that, you know, two things can both be true and, and you can experience multiple things at the same time. And that's why, because a lot of times we can be, and, and this goes for anybody, like we can, we can be very confused that we're looking at the world in very black and white terms. And that's really problematic because the world is not a black and white place. We, we have to find ways to be able to live in the gray area and to understand that more than one perspective in the world can be true at, at one time. And, and similar, um, like, you no, know, I was thinking about this too, but putting the language to emotions that Brene Brown came out with uh, her latest book, The Atlas of the Heart. And I think she covers 87, 87 different emotions because for this exact reason that she felt that it was so important for us to be able to give language to whatever it is that we're experiencing. And that's just like cracking the top of the iceberg in terms of the words we could use. But those are sort of the 87 most common ones. But when we can put language to it, language is so important. Like words, words matter. Words matter. We have at least gotten to a point in history where we can now say that that saying about sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me is no bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so we fully understand that at least, which is a win. That is a win that we've understood that that is no longer a thing. Um, it never was a thing just that we got caught in the trap of, of, you know, generations before us thinking that that was fine. But yes, there, the emotion the, the language of emotions is, is really important and really crucial. And I would actually be interested to see, and, and maybe this is something that, that you've done a little bit of too, but I would love to see um, people doing maybe more research. I even need to do some of this around what words men would connect with most. So even the word, even saying the word emotions, 
I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, there are so many men who would even just hear you say that and they'd turn this off. Yep. Nope. 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 Yep. Nope. Like I'm done. <laughs> so what are the, what are some of the words? What is some of the language that can be used that will help to open that door a little bit and to help some men feel a little bit safe to come in and have that conversation. Do you feel like there's also a sense of what I have to say doesn't matter anyway? Oh yeah. For real. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought. And I actually just saw a video the other day from Ed Milet and I don't really follow him, but this, this video was really, really well done. And I'll send you the video afterwards so you can, you can repost it or or something if you want to. But the gist of the story was that I I gather, I guess he, and he mentioned this in the video that his father was an alcoholic and then his father ended up um, getting sober and completely changing, like changing his entire life for him, his kids, all these things. And Ed Milet now speaks to, you know, millions of people. He's like a motivational speaker and businessman and all that stuff. And he said, I had this realization in the middle of the night, the other night, I woke up and thought, oh my God, somebody helped my dad get sober. Like my dad must have hit a rock bottom moment and someone helped him get sober. And I guess his dad is gone now. So he can't even ask his dad, like, who was that person? But he said that person, they probably weren't an expert in anything. They probably just, you know, talked to them with some personal experience or shared a personal story or something connected with him in the right way in the exact way that he needed to hear it when he needed to hear it and how he needed to hear it. And the ripple effect from that, Ed Milet's like, now I speak to millions of people and like impact all of them. He's like, I could not do what I did if that one person didn't help my dad. So we have to understand that like, you don't need to have a certificate in something. You don't need to um, you know, be an expert or accredited or whatever to have a fucking conversation with somebody. Yeah. And to, to just talk to them about a personal experience that you've had that, that they can benefit from learning from and the power in that we don't understand the ripple effect. We do not understand the ripple effect. And I have just recently been starting to see that in my work and actually acknowledging it. I have one particular client in, in Austin who she's a, a physician's assistant and so she works with like 15, 20 different patients a day. And she teaches them some of the stuff that I work with her around. And, you know, just like, you know, basically like, like communication tools and like these different things. Cause they'll, they'll talk to her when they're coming in for various physical ailments about a various number of things that are going on in their life. And sometimes she'll help them. She'll be like, oh, you know, like I learned this thing or whatever. And they'll come back to her and tell her what a massive difference it made. And I'm going, I'm sitting up here in Canada working with a client in Austin. And just with that one client, there's like a ripple effect that's going outward. And then you multiply that out. Like how many of each of those patients are then making huge changes in their life with very small little tweaks and tools that's expanding outward from there. Like we don't understand the power of our own ripple effect. And one conversation with one brother can change everything. It can. And it's hard because as a man, you have to try more than once. You can't just try once yeah. and be like, I'm done. I tried. I did my part. And that's hard because rejection is hard. We tend to internalize that. Like, oh, yeah. they just, they don't care. So I'm just, you know what? I'll just let them be and they'll come to me when they want to. But that's not going to help 
things at all. And like you said, like the emotion, those words, we shut, we shut off. Like all of a sudden we're not going to talk about it. Um, and it's hard to break through that. But if you can take your personal stories and relate them and then all of a sudden they're, oh, I've done that before. Yeah, I've had that. Like, yeah, I feel that right now. Like you are starting to uh, get through to a level that all of a sudden they, people will listen. And I've been thinking about it a lot because, you know, workplaces that are just constantly negative, like you can't escape it. You tend to bring that home and to everything and you just get miserable and you don't know how to break the cycle. How do you talk to the people that are creating these negative places and get them to understand that you have an effect, that there's this air that hangs over everything and it creates these uh, eggshells that people walk on that if you step too hard, the whole thing's going to break. So it's, yeah, this is like all of this. And then the sobriety community, you know, we come at things with no judgment because guess what? You don't go sober because everything's great. You know, you go sober because you need to, you need a change either health wise, personal life wise, legal wise, like there, you are not going sober because your life is perfect. So when you tell people that, like, they tend to understand like, oh, you know, this, I could talk to this person because not, maybe I won't understand, but at least I'm not going to judge. I'm going to actually be empathetic towards them because I know what that isolation is like. And yeah, it just starts with that one that one conversation, sometimes you plant that seed that starts to grow and it might be a month from now, might be two months from now. Eventually they'll hit you up and realize, oh, I could talk to this person. Well, I wanted to mention too, especially with you mentioning about like, you can't just try once. I want to challenge anyone who, who is feeling that way. And, and I know this is easier said than done because rejection does suck. But if you're having that moment, like ask yourself if... It, when you were when you were just learning to walk and you fell down did you mm-hmm. stop no when you were applying for that job um to to get a job when you were like starting your career did you apply to one place get rejected and then just go okay i'm just going to sit on the couch for the rest of my life and never try again no right like we have to apply that same sense of purpose to all of the different areas of our life. And if, if you don't know what your sense of purpose is, the only way to really reveal it is to take action because a lot of people can get lost in this and go, okay, like where, where's, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? And they get so lost in the question that they don't actually take the action to see what will be un- unveiled for them. That's the only way that I've uncovered my sense of purpose. I, I've said to people before, like this work chose me. I actively fought against doing this work for a really long time. I did not wake up one day and go, oh, my purpose is to be teach people about relationships. No, <laughs> that is not <laughs> how that happened. It only came out of making so many decisions and action steps towards something that I couldn't even see yet to have that be revealed. And one of the things I talk to people is about, um, if we're talking about 
how to prioritize your life. And you, you and I, are, you actually mentioned this a little bit earlier about that kind of like selfishness. The, the number one priority in your life should be you. Mm-hmm. It should be you. You have to be your own biggest priority. Number two should be purpose. And not everyone is fortunate enough to be able to necessarily live out their exact purpose as a career, but you can take a sense of purpose and infuse it into everything that you do, including your job or career. Whether that's showing up with um, a sense of, of love and like it, literally infusing love, that might sound like ridiculous, but infusing love and showing up with kindness in everything that you do, that in and of itself can be a sense of purpose. So whatever that looks like, then if you're with a partner, like your partner, because if you lose your sense of purpose and you make your partner your entire sense of purpose, you will lose pieces of yourself. You will become like that. That's when you're looking at creating a codependent relationship as well. Um, There are a lot of problems that are associated with that. So you need to be your biggest priority, then your sense of purpose. Then if you're with someone, your partner and then kids and, and all of that stuff. But that sense of purpose is so important and finding ways to, to infuse that into everything that you do, because when people fall into a depression, it's usually because they've lost their sense of purpose. I've been there. I've been there. Most people, when they fall into a depression, it's because they've lost their sense of purpose. And sometimes we have to not just wait for it to arrive on our front doorstep, but to create it and then allow it to shift and evolve and grow with us as we learn more and more about ourselves. But you can bring that sense of purpose into how you're connecting with your brothers, how you're connecting with, with your partner, how you are showing up at your job, how you're playing with your kids and, and raising them. Whatever it is that you're doing in the world, you can bring a sense of purpose to that. That's really important for people to hear because that is definitely the piece that has stuck with me that I still work on daily is that when I'm thinking about myself and I'm doing things for myself, like that's not selfish, even though some people and you wish that some people are your biggest cheerleaders and they're not right and some people are going to say, well, you're being a little selfish, but that's because they're so used to you sacrificing everything that when you re- don't sacrifice something for yourself, it makes them think that you are selfish, right? And they might also see something in that where they might actually be a little bit triggered, jealous, potentially, because they would actually love to be able to put themselves first. And they're denying themselves that. So they see somebody else doing it and they're like, oh, that's bullshit. Like, yeah. why must be nice? Yeah. One of that, those phrases, <laughs> right? Like, oh, must be nice. <laughs> it absolutely is. It, that is. That is so true. So, Emily, as we're wrapping up this show here, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? Yeah, for sure. So I'm over at the Room to Grow podcast. Um, also over at, so we talk about relationships over there, all the things. Um over at, on Instagram, I forgot where I was for a minute. Instagram at Emily Goff Coach, or you can also go to emilygoffcoaching.com and all the ways to connect, work with, all the things are all over there. <laughs> I love how you started talking about your website as your home. Like you, someone built you a home. Aww. And that is, I was like, that's, 
That's awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad right? you got that feeling. Um, so. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. My, my whole website and brand just got redone by a really dear friend of mine. And I've been in business five years and, and I've actually had, this is actually the third time my website has been redone. Third, fourth. This might actually be the fourth time because <laughs> I built my original website. Then I've had a couple of people rebuild it for me since as I, as my business has also evolved. And she, this, this friend of mine just rebuilt everything from the ground up. We burned it all down. We rebuilt everything. And I was like, oh my God, you built me a home. <laughs> like I have a digital home. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm very excited about it. So yes, you can go over and check it out. <laughs> if there's one thing you want people to take away from this conversation, this episode, what would it be? Open, open. What would it, what would it feel like to open? What would it feel like if you trusted this connection enough to open? What would it look like if you trusted yourself enough to be able to survive whatever comes Mm -hmm. from you opening? Whether that's the rejection, whether that is the connection, whether that is the redirection towards something else or towards someone else that will be able to be there for you to offer deeper connection. But it's to open, to open, to continue to remind yourself to open. Even if you're having like a, a feeling that you don't recognize or something coming up that you don't, you don't even really know how to give words to, just try Like just try and that can open the door to a conversation that can absolutely shift everything. Sometimes all it takes is one conversation. I think that everyone can probably relate to that, that there are certain specific conversations or sometimes even sentences or moments in time that stand out to us where we're like, oh, that was a moment where like I took a hard left. Or I, I took a hard right because like that, that one thing that that one person said to me like changed everything. And I hope that you've had that experience if you haven't yet. And that can be for better or for worse, but ultimately for better because it's still serving your, your greatest good, I feel. Um, if you haven't had that yet, then I would challenge you to open even more. Like open because those moments are waiting for you, but you have to take a step forward in order to have them. And there's pain in it too. So be yes. ready because it's not all, you know, rainbows and unicorns, you know, they're it. unicorns still got a shit as I like to tell everybody. So, <laughs> um, but pain also causes like pain creates possibilities, purpose and redirection too. So don't be afraid of yep. the pain because the pain is still leading you down the road towards other things. Absolutely. And don't, don't be scared to allow your emotions to happen because when you push them away constantly, that's when you can't get through them. You try to go around them, they're still going to be there. It's just And they'll come back of, and bite you 10 times worse later. Yep. Trust absolutely. me. They always do. <laughs> absolutely. Emily, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Thank has, you, RJ. This has been, been awesome. Amazing. I appreciate Thanks. it. <laughs> so go check out Emily. Go check out her new website, her new home. Check out her <laughs> podcast. I listen to it every week, every while, every time there's a new episode posted. Uh, it's absolutely, it's wonderful. This has been Untapped Keg, our podcast about sobriety and mental health, where we look at different perspectives on both of those and how we can put them into our own lives. I'm RJ Zimmerman. Find us on all social media platforms at Untapped Keg. If you're interested in the men's group that I mentioned, you can either hit up Big Kev at Laugh for a Purpose on Twitter, Instagram, 
anything and let us know you're interested and we'll get you a Zoom link. We're starting an email list for it so that we can email out the link uh, every time we're going to have a meeting. It's once a month right now. If there's a big enough demand, we'll make it uh, more often. But, you know, if you're struggling, reach out. We'll help you find resources. We'll be the ear that you want to talk to. Uh, DMs are open. Untap keg. Everybody, let's have a good week. Thank you for being here. Try to be better tomorrow than we were today. Because at least if we don't make it, we tried. I love you. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.